Can't think of a better song to uh, introduce uh, not only the text this morning, but Hebrews 11, in the midst of our unbelief, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our challenges, uh, he remains faithful. You know, it's that time of the year that we call the holidays. Stores start decorating, advertisements start bombarding us from every direction, stretching from Halloween through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Most enjoy these special days for for different reasons, maybe, family, friends, fun, food, feasts, festivities, and of course, candy, but it didn't start with F. Of course, when I said Halloween, some of you thought, wait, I, I thought you didn't like Halloween. You're right. I'm not particularly a fan. I much prefer Reformation Day. In fact, someone sent me this picture this week. Now, when I got the picture, I've got to be honest, when I got the picture, I didn't get the title with it. And so I, I cropped off the rest and just put the, the pumpkin, and I shouldn't have done that because behind the picture, you can kind of see some, some Reese's, 95 of them. <laughs> it's Martin Luther and his 95 Reese's. <laughs> I want that. Halloween. Originally a pagan celebration of all things dead has wound up, has wound its way into our culture and, and, in, and even into the church. From fall festivals to trunk or tree to dressing um, up children uh, in uh, undead costume, uh, costumes, uh, we've adapted, I suppose. Uh, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Disney princess hero or heroine. As long as it's not ghosts, goblins, and witches, I, I guess we're okay. In fact, many churches, including our own, allow children to dress up as their favorite Bible character. Why not? I, I googled Bible character Halloween costumes. Does that sound odd to anybody? <laughs> I found a few you might consider. First... Animals on Noah's Ark. <laughs> These guys look thrilled. <laughs> or you could just be Noah. <laughs> Giving you some ideas here. How about this one? Deborah. Deborah from the book of Judges. <laughs> yeah. My personal favorite. How about this one? Stumbling blocks. <laughs> Come on, that's good. How many of you stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night? Yeah, stumbling blocks. You can be a wise man, you can be a shepherd, you can be an angel, and if you can't decide, I guess you can just be all of them. <laughs> as long as it's the right version. <laughs> I guess all that begs a question, who are the heroes of the Christian faith? I mean... <laughs> I mean, would we dress up our children like a, like a Pharaoh or like a Pharisee, Pilate or Herod? Well, of course, many of us would turn to Hebrews 11. It's a great list, a repository of Old Testament heroes. But, but you know, here, Lions, it's great to study through books of the Bible because, you see, in doing so, it makes us take verses and stories and chapters like this one in their context. This is a, Hebrews 11 is a great example. Yes, it is a wonderful chapter, but it's even better studied in context. I, I, I confess to you, 25 years ago, I preached through Hebrews 11 without the rest of Hebrews. Just wrenched her right out of its context. Much better 
taking it as it comes. See, the author is writing to struggling, persecuted uh, believers, encouraging them to remain faithful, to not walk away from their new Christian faith. In fact, the last verse that we look at before we get to chapter 11, 1039 says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. He's encouraging his readers who are struggling to persevere, to endure. After all, we are of those who've kept the faith and have uh, persevered to the end. Who are those of those faithful ones? Chapter 11, a a chapter which has rightly encouraged struggling believers through the centuries, a chapter often entitled the Hall of Faith, which is really a great title. It helps us remember that these men and women found their way into this chapter because of because of their faith, not, not their deeds per se, but their faith in God that, that led to these deeds that we're going to read about. We'll see in, in verse 2 this morning that, that these were approved or commended by God for their faith. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want today, to be approved, to be commended by God? Isn't that what people are doing all over the planet, trying to get God to notice them, to approve them? Isn't that what world religions teach? Do this, do this, and God will approve you? Like these people, we want to remain faithful, to to persevere, to endure to the very end. But it's going to cost us. You struggling in your faith this, this morning? You struggling f- following after Jesus? I'm going to tell you over and over this morning to read the Bible. But here's the truth you need to understand. As you read the Bible, to be encouraged in your faith, it's not so that your troubles will go away, but it is to endure through the troubles. It'd be easy to get sidetracked on these stories of great people. I will try very hard not to do that. Rather, we want to look at why this brilliant author included them in this chapter as he was encouraging those struggling in their faith, uh, these Jewish believers. He's also encouraging us in the midst of our rising opposition. Now, I said brilliant author again because, well, this guy's brilliant. Let me show you his intentional structure in this part of the book. In fact, I encourage you to read the end of chapter 10 into 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Just read it and and try to pick out the the recurring themes and the recurring words that he uses. It practically jumps off the the page. Let let me give you a couple of examples. The chapter is surrounded by two passages, end of chapter 10, beginning of chapter 12. End of chapter 10, "For for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Then we get, so you need endurance, people. And then we get to the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside our sin and let us run with endurance. This endurance that you need? Chapter 11. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the, the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand throne of God. For consider him who endured. Are you, are you struggling? Are you enduring hostility? So did he. 
who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you see his purpose is to encourage us in this endurance that he told us that we needed. So he lists examples of endurance in the faith culminating with Jesus who himself endured persecution, opposition, hostility. Notice that as we review, and I'm going to say this over and over, as we review these Old Testament heroes, we glance at them for encouragement. That's great, but we will fix our eyes on Jesus and consider him leader of our faith so that we will not lose heart. Further, at the end of chapter 10, the author quoted Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Okay, I quoted several times in the New Testament to include Romans chapter 1. Okay, I'm supposed to live by faith. What is it? Well, what does it look like? Chapter 11, focusing on faith, begins and ends with these words. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. And then dropping down to the last two verses uh, of the chapter, he says, and all these having gained approval through their faith. Are you trying to get God to notice you this morning? Are you trying to get him to approve you and like you? By faith. Gained approval through their faith and did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. We'll talk about that more when we get there. But notice how he starts with men who gained approval through their faith and ends with these having gained approval through their faith. How? Listen, by believing and remaining faithful, even though we'll find it cost them greatly and even though they did not receive what was promised. All that ridicule, all that opposition that we get, where is this coming that he promised? He wants to encourage us. We've not yet fully received what was promised, but nonetheless, we believe and we persevere and we will be rewarded. We will receive. We struggle, we suffer now, we believe now, and we will receive later. Most assuredly, mark it down. It's a great chapter. I'm not sure how long we'll be in it. A little while. In fact, let me outline the, the chapter for you. This morning, we're going to look at the nature of faith. The first couple of verses there. Then we're going to see faith in creation. He starts with creation. He goes through Noah. And then you're going to notice something. He, he takes us through all of time. How the people have, have demonstrated faithfulness, faith in God throughout time. He'll, he'll go to Abraham and his descendants called the patriarchs. Faith in Moses and the Israelites, particularly the ones that entered the promised land. Faith in, in others to the very present day. Are you struggling with your faith? Read the Bible. Look at those faithful people around you that are sitting in this very room and be encouraged. You see, it's all right to struggle. You just don't want to stay there. 
Now, even as I share the outline, I get a bit excited about it, but let's remember to focus on why these people made it into the hall of faith. What was exceptional about their faith that can encourage us in ours? Let's begin by reading those first couple of verses again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen, for by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. Today we're simply going to look at the nature of faith in verse 1 and and, and follow that with the result of that faith in verse 2. You know by now I've said the word faith a a couple of dozen times or more already. In fact I thought about asking those young ladies that keep track of the number of times that I say God, Jesus, and Spirit uh, to count the number of times that I say faith this morning. It's been a bunch. It's an important word to Christianity. After all the Christian life is a life of faith. Faith is the issue upon which salvation depends. I want to make sure you understand what I just said. We are saved by grace through faith. One said, it is the key that turns the lock on the door of eternal life. It is the channel, get this, it is the channel by which, it is not a work, it is the channel by which we receive Um. The benefits of Christ's saving work. Clearly, faith is important to our Christianity. In fact, in verse 6, he will remind us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Be very clear about that. All of your efforts to get God to notice you, like you, accept you, cannot be done without faith. He will mention the word faith 24 times in this chapter. As I recall, something like 18 times he says the words by faith. Paul uh, uses the word faith 37 times in his letter to the Romans, which is his explanation of the gospel. For example, after condemning all of humanity in in the first three chapters of the book, uh, arriving at the conclusion of that condemnation in chapter 3, verse 20, everyone, every mouth is stopped and the entire world is guilty before God. He started that verse 18, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against us sinful people, who is that pretty much all of us. The wrath of God is rightly poised against us so that all of us are guilty. Every mouth is stopped. Thank God for chapter 3, verse 21, which reads, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God. We've seen the wrath of God being revealed. Now we see the wrath of uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. Look, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Stop right there. It's unfortunate that the word faith and believe are so so different in the English because they are actually not in the Greek. They are actually the same word. One's a noun and one's a verb. Pistis is faith. Pistuo is to believe. You can hear the similarity there. It's the same thing. To believe is to have faith. And we all need faith, you see, because there's no distinction, he goes on to say, for all of sin. He just pointed that out in the first three chapters. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We need faith in Jesus. Faith is how we receive the righteousness of God. That seems to make it fairly important. In Galatians, which is Paul's argument that people are saved by faith and not by being good, all those attempts to make God like you, notice you, accept you, not going to work. Chapter 2, nevertheless, knowing that man is not justified, that is, he doesn't receive the righteousness of God, he's not made right by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, see it again, faith and believe, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Works of the law don't work in order to be made just. 
Seems like it's important. Then those famous words that most of us learned when we were wee little tykes in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We have nothing good to boast about because we have nothing good. So it seems rather obvious faith is important. In fact, indispensably so to the Christian faith. Yes, we are saved by grace. That is, by God's unmerited favor toward us through the work of his son. But grace is received through faith. Again, it is the channel by which we receive God's blessing in Christ. So having said all of that, it seems that we ought to know what it is. And further, I would add this. Not only are we saved by grace through faith, if you're going to persevere to the end and remain faithful, it will be by grace through faith. By the way, let me tell you what faith is not. It is not a blind reliance on the things of God without any evidence. It is not just a a feeling that we pull out of thin air. There There is plenty of evidence to believe the word of God and the gospel. True, there are some future things for which we hope, things that we do not yet see, but our faith in that hope of yet unseen things is not in a vacuum. It is not blind faith. Get rid of that concept in your mind. Some of the stories that we will look at from past events, I trust over the next few weeks will strengthen your faith. So if you are struggling, you be here the next few weeks. Second, faith is not a wistful longing that something may come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. Let that sink in just a little bit. Not a wistful longing that something will come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow. I've used the word hope several times now. Now, we use uh, hope to speak of something that may or may not happen. I mean, we hope it will. I hope I win the lottery. (laughs) I I, I don't play. I I hope that I get this present, but it'd be nice if someone would play for me, just saying. Um, I, I hope I get this present under the tree. You might, you may not. But our Christian biblical hope is in a certain, listen, Listen, it is in a certain tomorrow because of God's certain fulfillment of promises in the past. We can trust God for tomorrow because he has been faithful in the past. What God says, he will do. So faith is not in an uncertain tomorrow. God said it. It will happen. Take it to the bank. Third, faith is not purely abstract. Write the words, it's real. We should get this concept out of our minds that faith is just something that I can't really explain or I don't even really fully understand. Listen, that kind of shallow faith may be here one day and gone the next if you don't even know what it is. It will change. It will, it, you will lose it due to the winds of change and circumstances. But our faith is not an abstract feeling, but a rock-solid hope built on God's faithful word that he has faithfully fulfilled in the past, and we can count on him to faithfully fulfill in the future. So when people say, how do you know it's true? Say, well, let me read you some stories. This is how I know it's true. So then what is faith? It's often been said that Hebrews 11 is a definition of faith. Pages and pages of commentaries arguing whether or not it's a definition. (laughs) At the very least, it gives us some important understandings of the nature of faith. The author writes, faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And one points out that those are um, subjective words, assurance and conviction. Several critical things to note. First, faith is both an assurance and a conviction. Some see those as basically the same thing or slightly different, doesn't matter. I'm not going to get into all of that, but notice the confidence that those two words are supposed to bring. Faith is assurance. It's not, I hope so, I hope so, maybe, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. No, it is an assurance. It is a conviction. It's not, again, blind faith, but an assured hope. The word is used this way back in chapter 3 with basically the same meaning. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our what? Our hope so? No, our assurance firm until the end. I hope it's true. Maybe, maybe when I die, I'll find out. No, it is our assurance firm till the end. And that is what he's encouraging. That's what he's encouraging us to do, to hold fast our assurance. He uses a specific word for assurance that has a, a, a myriad of different related meanings. Question is, which way do we translate it here? Again, lots of discussion about that. In fact, as I recall, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there are 20 times this word appears to, tr- to translate 12 different Hebrew words. Lots of different variation. Substance, confidence, assurance. Let me give you a few ideas. First, the word was actually used back in chapter 1, verse 3. And he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of his, that is God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. Which word is it? It's the word nature. The exact representation of his being, the exact representation, listen, of his substance, his reality, which is why the King James translates it, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The idea is that faith lays hold of something as yet unseen and it becomes real and solid. It is substantive. It is, it is objective. It's not subjective, you see. That's why some prefer the word substance. It's objective. In other words, faith makes real. And I hate to, I don't really like those words. I wrote those words, I don't like those words. Faith makes real. No, your faith does not make real. It understands that what is real is real. Faith makes real to us and gives us possession of things that are hoped for but are not yet fully experienced. Second, the word can speak subjectively of assurance and confidence. My, my translation, perhaps yours if you have the ESV. This deals with what faith is, namely confidence or assurance in things hoped for but not yet seen. Paul addresses this idea in Romans chapter 8. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Open the present? That, it's what I wanted. You no longer hope for it. You have it. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, this is Christian faith, we wait eagerly for it and we can wait eagerly because of the assurance, the certainty, the confidence of faith. Here's the difference between, the, between Christian hope and faith and that which is under the tree. I know what's under the tree. You see, I know what's the Christian faith is. It's assurance, it's confidence. Finally, the word can be used of a title deed or a guarantee. In that sense, our faith is the guarantee, guarantee that what God has promised, he will do. How do we know? Read the Bible. We will receive it. 
even though we have not yet seen it. It's the firm ground upon which we stand while we faithfully wait for the fulfillment of God's promise. There is a confident expectation actually um, giving the future a present reality. Get this, get this. I don't want you to get this in your mind. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. One author sums it this way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is a confident attitude toward those things God has promised. And it is the guarantee that gives us sure possession, even now. In short, we can say since faith finds its strength in its object, namely God, faith is believing God. You, you, you may sit here and say, you know, I've been struggling. My faith is weak. Your God is not. Struggle all you want. Your God is not weak. Titus says it this way. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of, faith in, hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. How can I have a strong faith? Remember that you have received the promises from God who does not indeed cannot lie. God said it, and because he cannot lie, because it would go against his very nature, go against his very character, he promised it. You can mark it down. It's an assurance. He can't lie, even if you're struggling. Even if, even if your faith is challenged right now, Consider the story of the three Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3. Our author does not recite this story, so I am safe to do so. You may know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon had a statue of his divine self, 90 feet tall, made of gold, erected in the capital city and demanded when certain music was played that everyone bow down to his image. The idea, bow down and worship me. Well, the great day came, the music played, and everyone bowed down. Well, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to see in your mind what is happening here. Everyone was bowing down except them. On their faces, look around, everyone's going, you're supposed to get down. And they are standing erect, standing up like sore thumbs. What does that saying mean? I have no idea. They are taken before the king who said, what's, what's wrong with you? Didn't you understand the instructions? Were they unclear? Didn't you hear the music? Are you deaf? I'm going to give you one more chance. The music will play. You will bow down. And if you don't, I will cast you into a fiery furnace. What was their response? What would yours have been? Standing before the mightiest king on the planet. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning the matter. Hold the music. You can play it all you want. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will do it. He can do it one way or the other. <laughs> but even if he does not deliver us physically, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. Wow. Think about that for just a moment. They could see the king. They could see the fiery furnace. They could see the flames. They could see the guards. They could see everybody bowing down. Everyone's gone, you guys better psst, bow down. Their response, the obedience of faith. 
You see, a king they could see tells them to bow. And a king they could not see tells them to never bow to other so-called gods. And they did not come what may. They obeyed the king they could see with their eyes of faith. I need to be clear. You know the rest of the story. And Nebuchadnezzar, we read, is filled with, with wrath. He commanded the furnace to be stoked up to seven times normal. The guards cast the boys into the furnace. The, the, the furnace is so hot, the guards are consumed. But as they look into the furnace, they're, somehow they're able to look in there and see that, uh, the living one still. They, they see not three, but four figures walking around, and the fourth has an appearance like one, uh, uh, like a son of God. Very likely, most agree, the pre-incarnate Christ. Here's my point. They were threatened with death. That's persecution, by the way. They were threatened with death because of their faith in God. And they still obeyed by faith. And God delivered them. But he did not have to. As he has not for millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years. So what would you do? What's the worst that could happen? They would have been consumed by the fire and gone into the presence of the God they served who was as real to them as this earthly, self-absorbed, half-baked, idolatrous, puny king. That's faith in things hoped for, things not yet seen, no matter the cost. What would you have done? Author basically says the same thing in the second part of the verse. Faith is the conviction. That's subjective. Translated um, objectively, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, evidence, uh, being certain of things which, for which we hope but are not yet seen. It has been said this way. Imagine two guys on the deck of a ship in the middle of an ocean gazing out across the waves. One sees only the water. The other, looking through a telescope, sees another ship. <laughs> he can see it. He can, he can describe it in, in great detail. He knows it's there. The telescope, you see, is the faith by which we see. You say, but wait, wait, wait that, 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 that illustration doesn't work. You see, the other ship was actually there. Exactly. So are the things for which we hope the things not yet seen, they are there and we see them with the eyes of faith. So that's a lot of information and definition. What do we do with all of that? Notice, faith has a future look. That's going to be clear as we make our way through these Old Testament examples. They had faith in things they had not yet received. In fact, listen, many of them died having never received the promise. Is that not true of believers who have died over the last 2,000 years? Oh, well, there is a difference. For, for we look back to the promise of the gospel. We have received the promised Holy Spirit. There is a sense in which we live in the already fulfilled promises, but, but, but not fully in the not yet promises, the already not yet. We await some other promises, do we not? Like the coming of Christ and the fullness of the kingdom. Have you experienced the fullness of the kingdom now? Anybody that tells you you have, they're wrong. It's coming. How do we know? 
read the Bible. It's coming. Further, our beliefs cost us. We still believe. Please uh, know again, because the author uses words like hope and things not seen, does not spell uncertainty. It does not mean, again, blind faith. We haven't seen it, so it's blind. No, our faith is not blind in that it is based on no evidence. There's tons of evidence as to the reality of the Christian faith. Sure, we have not seen it fully, but there is enough evidence to express faith. But in the end, it is faith. Where there's good reason to believe. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And can I suggest to you this morning that when we believe God, take God at his word, believe his promises that he likes that. You see, that brings us to verse two and our conclusion. For by it, that is by faith, the men of old gained approval. Approval from whom? Approval from God. The men of old are the Old Testament examples of faith that he's going to talk about in the rest of the chapter. By their faith, they gained approval. Now, do not for a minute think that by their faith, they earned approval. No, 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 no. Strike that. They did not earn approval. That's not what he means. Remember, faith is the conduit, the channel by which we receive God's grace. So he says, by faith, they gained or received approval or commendation from God. Conversely, we will see, verse 6, without faith, you will not please God. You will not. So I have a couple of very important questions for you as we close. First, from whom... Are you trying to gain approval? <laughs> Let's be honest. Most of us have a bit of a challenge with that. Most of us in our heart of hearts uh, are, are people pleasers. So maybe we're not trying to please everybody, but we are trying to please or gain approval from someone. Who is that for you? Wife, husband, mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, classmate, friend. And I suppose there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But there is one far more important from whom we must gain approval, and that is God. And we find his approval through faith in the work of his Son. This is the good news, the incredibly good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the Christian faith. We have religions running around all over the world telling you this is what you need to do to earn God's favor. I've got good news for you. This is what he has done so that you can be approved. And it takes simple faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. 